I have to say, uh, no credit to myself, but that worship team was awesome this morning. Those guys were so good. Ethan, Ethan, you're, I'm going to keep embarrassing Ethan because every time he opens his mouth and sings, I want to I give up singing altogether. He's so, so good, so good. Um, well, good morning. If you don't know who I am, my name's Andy Squires. I'm the worship leader here, but I have been uh, uh, asked to preach this morning. Um, how many of you were here last week for John Mark's sermon on the flood? And then how many of you here were the week before that on the uh, creation? Robin, Robin had the, uh, the first uh, topic in our, our series. We're, we're going through the book of Genesis this summer. And I have to say that uh, he had the toughest task because you had to cover the most amount of chapters in like 30, 30 minutes. So... Um, what this is, is we're just going through the book of Genesis and, and really hearing the story about where we come from. This is the origin story of all belief. Well, it's, it's the origin story of the universe, the created universe, but it's particularly the story of uh, followers of Jesus. So, um, so first week was creation. Last week, uh, John Mark covered Noah. And the flood, this week, we're going to be talking about Abraham, all right? So how many of you guys know who Abraham is? He's the, uh, I, I, uh, there's a Sunday school song about um, Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah, y'all know it. Had Father Abraham. It's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Class dismissed. <laughs> so... Um, <clears throat> I have to say that in uh, preparing for this message, I, I, always, I always get more out of preparing for a message than I do listening to a message. It's really interesting. And I think that really speaks to the idea that um, giving yourself to studying the Bible is really important. If you don't find yourself in the Word often, that's a problem. You know, we need to be reminded to get back into the word because here's why it's important for me. Um, I would say this, this is my, this is my testimony. I'm going to tell on myself probably over the last season of my life, um, because of one thing or another, I've given up some of the hope that I once had. I have given up on some of the faith for things that I once had. I've probably given up on some of the promises and callings and words that God spoke into my life as a younger man. For one reason or, the, or another, I've just lost heart somewhere along the line. And um, last week or the week before, I was in San Francisco with some folks that were, um, I don't know how else to say it, they were charged up in faith. They had a lot of faith active in their lives, the way they were speaking, the way they were acting, the way they were talking. And I noticed this thing that they weren't necessarily talking to me, but just being in their proximity, I was catching faith. Being in their proximity where I had lost courage, I was gaining courage. It was like God was interrupting my unbelief all of a sudden. 
Like I had a lack of faith and God interrupted my lack of faith and said, hey, you don't have the faith that you need. Here's some faith. It was so easy. It was as easy as that. I mean, it's interesting how easy it is to receive the goodness of God. God wants to interrupt your life. So today we're going to talk about this man named Abraham who we find in the Old Testament book of Genesis. And I want to say this, that God is not part of your story. You are part of God's story. The book of Genesis is the beginning of God's story with you and I. Sometimes we read these ancient manuscripts, and because of the supernatural nature of what's being told in this narrative, we feel a little bit disconnected from the story itself. But the fact is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, Genesis is your story. The things that are occurring in these passages belong to you. It's like if you're part of a family, a physical family, you've got a story. Your dad came from a place. Your mom came from a place. Your grandparents came from a place. Your great-grandparents came from a place. All of those stories, all of those lives in your lineage are all part of your story. Well, the same is true of the book of Genesis. The same is true of the creation account, of the flood account. And today we'll see that the Abraham account is very much a part of your story. The fact is this, without Abraham, you or I would not be sitting here today. The patriarch Abraham is one of the is the very first reason why you're sitting here today. So here's the story. Once upon a time, in the 12th chapter of Genesis, there was a family that lived in the Fertile Crescent. The Fertile Crescent was a part of Mesopotamia. There were all of these rivers that were running down into this delta, and there was a lot of early civilization that was living there. Well, Abraham, who we're talking about today, didn't start out with that name. He began with the name Abram. And Abram and his brothers had a father, and they were part of the Chaldeans of Ur. That's a very strange name, but nonetheless, you'll find a lot of strange names in the biblical account, but they were part of the Chaldeans of Ur. Ur was the region that they lived in. And they left Ur to go up north to Haran. They were a nomadic people, and they they went to another region. They left that part of the Fertile Crescent behind, and they went north. In the 12th chapter of Genesis, something extraordinary happens. God interrupts out of the blue the life of a non-Christian, non-God-believing person and says, Abram, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your family and I want you to go to a place that's not your home. I want you to go to a land that I'm going to give you. And it's going to be for you and your family. And Abram said, okay. So Abram left everything that was comfortable. He left everything that he knew. He left his family behind. 
He probably left his gods behind. He probably left some of his customs behind. And he went to a strange place just because God interrupted his life and told him to go. So I want to say this, just as a precursor to telling you this story. We live in the information age. All right, we live in the age where we have access to all information all of the time, any time that we want it, right? So because of that, some of the supernatural, miraculous parts of God's story seem kind of strange to us. They seem like not quite what we've ever experienced in our own life or not quite what we've seen with our own eyes, And so I'd like you to just hear me out for a second because I find that when I can put myself into a story, I can receive more out of it. But the only way I can really put myself into a story is to humble myself to it. Sometimes it could be considered foolish to believe the story of God because of the supernatural nature of it. But I'm here to tell you that unless you're willing to be a fool and believe God in these things, you won't enter into the story. Jesus put it this way. In Matthew chapter 18, a couple of his disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And he said this, the most striking thing. He said, unless you are converted... Unless you are changed and you become as a little child, you by no means have any part in the kingdom of heaven. I would say it this way. Unless you are converted in your mind and you have a mind shift and you become like a child willing to hear the story of God and willing to receive it as it's given... You can't see it. You can't enter into it. And you can't make that story of faith your own. So in in the practice of you even just listening to this story, let's just take a minute and ask the Lord to change our hearts. Make us like little children. What's so interesting in that chapter, in chapter 18, Jesus says to his disciples, the greatest will be like a child. Not one chapter later in Matthew 19, the disciples are rebuking little kids that are coming to Jesus. It's like they didn't get the lesson. It's only one chapter away. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that goes forth. It's, it goes forth in power. It goes forth to bring change. It goes forth to bring transformation. It goes forth and it's just, it's exploding with faith in our hearts. Your word is creating faith in our hearts, Lord. So we just want to receive from you all that you have for us today, all that your Holy Spirit has for us. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so part of what I'm supposed to do up here is to tell you the story of Abraham, okay? The story of Abraham goes from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 25. So what we're going to do is read all 13 chapters today together, okay? Of course not, just kidding. But so I'm just going to give you a rough 
version of the story. If you want to follow along, I'm going to start in chapter 12, and you can just kind of like follow along with me, all right? So it goes like this. Abraham is the beginning of the nation of Israel, and he is the beginning of the line of the eventual Messiah. Jesus is the outcome of the family line of Abraham. Because Abraham believed in God initially, I am a follower of Jesus today. If you know nothing else about your part in this story, you're a follower of Jesus today because Abraham said yes to God however many thousands of years ago. That's pretty incredible to think about, isn't it? But before Abraham met God as Yahweh, he lived in the region called the Fertile Crescent, as I've already said. Okay, so in chapter 12 of Genesis, we read the first time that God engages with Abraham. Abraham is 75 years old when this happens, and he is married to a beautiful old lady named Sarai. And Sarai is probably around, she's probably between 60 and 7 years old, but she's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. Um, But she happens to be barren. She can't have kids. We know she's gorgeous because two times Abraham lied to a king and said, this beautiful lady is not my wife. She's my sister. And two kings almost lost their lives over it. So I, I, I'm actually, I take great comfort in the fact that the great patriarch Abraham is on this incredible journey of faith with God, but he keeps lying to people and he keeps, he keeps doing terrible things. And, and then you get, get to the book of Hebrews and they don't mention any of those failures. They only mention all of his great faith. So there's hope for us. So Abraham, Abram at this point is 75 and Sarah is somewhere up there and she's barren. And God shows up on the scene and he says to Abraham, leave your native country, leave the place that you are familiar with, leave your family behind and go to the place that I will show you. All right. And then he says this a little while longer in chapter 12. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who cursed you. And here's the good part as far as we're concerned. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. All right? So Abraham did as the Lord instructed. And Abraham eventually arrived in Canaan. When he got there, God said, This is the land that I'm going to give to you and your descendants. All right? I can relate with Abraham so much. I remember when I was 20 years old and the Lord came to me and he he spoke a few words to me and he said, I'm just going to just paraphrase these amazing words for you. The Lord came to me and he said, you're going to be amazing. You're going to be great. And all of your dreams are going to come true. And I was ready. I was like, Lord, I'm ready. Take me over, Jesus. I am your humble servant, ready to fulfill the great will that you have for me. Because obviously I'm anointed. Obviously, I've got a lot of things going for myself. Thank you for these incredible words, Jesus. Let's do this. But Abraham had a problem. God came to him and said, see all this land All of this belongs to you and your descendants. And at this point, he has not even one son. His brothers have kids. His brothers have kids coming out their ears. 
many sons, many daughters. All Abraham has is wealth at this point. The problem with the promise that God gave to Abraham was that he had no heir. He had no son. God spoke to him a promise which could only be fulfilled if Abraham had an heir. But he had no son, and he had no possibility within himself to have a son. The Bible actually says in the book of Hebrews that Abraham's body was as good as dead. It was good as dead. Over and over in the scriptures, we see that God makes something out of nothing. In the creation account, God spoke into nothing and created something, right? This is what God does. He always creates something out of nothing. And here he's saying to this man whose body was as good as dead, whose wife's body was as good as dead, you are going to have a nation come out of you, and out of that nation, I'm going to bless the entire world. But in chapter 15 of Genesis, God shows up again to speak with Abraham. And he says this, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. He had just, he had just been in a little scuffle, there, there were some warring kings out in the land and there had been some kidnapping happening and Abram had to take 300 of his servants and put swords in their hands and go rescue his nephew and there was all kinds of stuff going on that had to do with warfare and God shows up and says, hey, listen, don't worry so much about this because I'm going to protect you and I'm going to protect all of your lineage too. And, and Abraham says... Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? What good is all the wealth when, as far as I can see, there's no chance that the thing that you spoke to me back in Genesis chapter 12 has any possibility of of happening. I've already got all the money I need, God. I already have all the manservants that I need, all the women servants, all the llamas, all the sheep, all the donkeys, all the gold, all the silver. I got everything that I need. I don't need any more. I've got land, Lord. I've got the land that you gave me, but what good is any of this? He's talking back to God at this point. Have you ever had that? God's leading you in a direction and you're totally confounded by where you're headed and all of a sudden you've been traveling along just following him all along the way and finally you decide to talk back to him because you just cannot make sense of what's happening. So Abraham talks back to God and he says, well, Abraham says, Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you have not given me children, a servant in my household will inherit all my wealth. That was the custom in the land. If you didn't have children, your lead servant would get everything that you had. And the Lord answered Abraham and he said, No, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son who will be your heir Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants that you will have. It's hard to really kind of grasp the amount of 
starlight that is looking down from heaven when you live in a city or probably anywhere in the vicinity of a town because of the light pollution at night. But last summer, the Squires family went camping on the New River and there was no electricity for miles around. And we did this thing where we, we just took a couple blankets and we went in the middle of this field and we all laid down, all 10 of us laid down in a, a field and we just looked up at the sky for a couple hours because it was, it was stunning. It was stunning. When you can look at the sky without any light pollution, it's incredible. I used to always read that scripture and be confused by it because I couldn't see any stars when I looked, looked up. There's another scripture where he says, look at the grains of the sand. Your descendants will be like the grains of the sand. That part made sense to me. But the part about the stars didn't make any sense to me because as far as I could see, there's no stars. But do yourself a favor and find a place where there's no electricity or light anywhere and go lay on, lay on the ground somewhere and just look up at the stars. It's just amazing how many stars there are in the sky. But God's saying to Abraham, listen, I know you don't have a son. I know you don't have an heir, but here's what you need to do. Look up into the sky and try counting the stars because that's how many sons and daughters that you are going to have. And by this time, he's a little bit older. This conversation started when he was 75, but now he's 86. Do you ever feel like the window of your opportunity is closing. I get anxious about that all the time. Oh God, I'm 43 years old. <laughs> I'm turning 44 in August. My window of opportunity is closing. It's almost like God is waiting for all of the doors of opportunity to close on us so that he can finally do his thing. That should give you a lot of hope today. I mean, it's, it's probably true that you've missed opportunities. I know I have. Man, I'm telling you what. I've, I've just had such an experience with the goodness of God in the last couple of weeks. Amy and I were talking this morning during worship. And I just, I just realized all these things I have given up on in my heart. And I just started repenting. I was like... Amy, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for, for giving up on those dreams, for giving up on those promises, for giving up on that stuff that the Lord called us into. But the thing is, is that when you miss your opportunity and you repent, it gets so easy to just walk back right into it like you didn't even miss a beat. That's how good the Lord is. He just catches you up. It's like there's this easy anointing that he wants to give his church. Like you're walking around thinking, oh, this is so hard. I can't do this. And God's like, that's right, you can't. As soon as you figure that out and you just agree with me, man, I got this thing that I can give you. And it's called grace. And you just get to step into the thing that the Lord has for you. Amen? I believe this. I believe this church that I'm just gonna, I'm gonna talk specifically to our city for a second. This is for our city, okay? I landed in this city in 1999. There were things that were going on in this city 
years before that, and, and up until the point when I got here, that were so glorious to the outward eye that people were moving from all over the world to be a part of what God was doing. And I know some of you guys are, are acutely aware of that season. And somewhere along the way over the years, it, it seems like that stuff kind of like tapered off. It seems like God left the building for some reason. But I was talking to a couple of friends. We, we were driving back from lunch the other day, and these were two dudes that have been around this city and have been around the moves of God for years and years. And, and a couple of them have had a couple, just, just a rough stretch in their life where they, it seemed like they gave up on God or they at least gave up on what God was doing at some point. But it was so weird. It's like we were driving in a car and it was like our car filled with a glory cloud because we all started prophesying and none of us were in the mood. I mean, we hadn't been worshiping. We hadn't been talking about God. We, all we had done was we had eaten some really good jerk chicken over at the Caribbean hut and we were just driving back this direction. But one of the dudes says, here's the thing. God never left Charlotte. He's never missed a day. He's here. He's moving. He still wants to move. He's going to keep moving. We're going to see more salvations in this city than we've ever seen in the past. We're going to see more manifest glory than we've seen in the past. The things that the Lord did before, he's going to do it again. He's going to do it differently, but it's going to be awesome. The dreams that you had at one time, you're going to get to live out those dreams again. That's just the reality of who God is. I can't argue with the goodness of God anymore. I just can't do it. Every time I try to argue with his goodness, I just end up in anxiety and fear. Every time somebody tries to talk me out of what I've been believing God for, for the sake of having an intelligent conversation, I just end up scared. And I just don't want to do that anymore. I know when I started out, I was like Abraham. And God spoke to me a clear word. And I went in a direction with him and towards him and for him. And I might not be at the end of that journey. I might have some testing that I still need to go through. I might have some things that I'm still walking through. But I have to believe that God is faithfully not just going to fulfill the promise someday, but walking with me this whole way through. Is anybody catching this? Does anybody need to hear this this morning? I feel like some of you have given up heart. I know you have, because I know I have. I'm not preaching to you today. I'm preaching to myself. So anyways, back to Abraham. He says, do not be afraid. I will protect you, and your reward will be great. And Abraham says, Lord, what good are all these blessings? You haven't given me a son And the Lord answered and said, no, your servant will not be your heir, but you will have many descendants like the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So there was a bump in the road in the story of Abraham. He turns 86 years old and his wife's over there wringing her hands and she hasn't been able to conceive a son yet. 
So she does this thing that's kind of customary in the land. And he says, she says, Abram or Abraham, you should take my servant Hagar as your girlfriend and go make a baby with her. And of course he said yes. Right? Of course Abraham didn't put up a fight. But he takes this maid servant. The Bible says he marries her. They join together. They know each other in the biblical sense, and a son is born. And the son's name was Ishmael, okay? But th- that, that kind of got things real messy. That messed things up considerably. I'm not going to go into all of that today, but there was a son that was born to Abraham, but he was not the son of promise, He's not the son that God had been prophesying over Abraham this whole time. And I know you've probably heard a message like this before, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. When we try to work out for God what only he can work out, we're going to have trouble. Amen? It's just the way it goes. We don't want to give birth to Ishmael. We want to wait for the promises of God. So Ishmael is born in chapter 16. Chapter 17, something pretty awesome happens. Abram and Sarai are given their new names. Abraham, Abram becomes Abraham, where he will officially be known as for the rest of his life. And Sarai becomes Sarah, okay? And when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him again. So the last time the Lord appeared to him was when he was 86. So I guess that's a 13-year gap between 86 and 99. Have you ever gone 13 years without the Lord speaking to you? Or at least maybe thought that you had gone 13 years without the Lord speaking to you? You're in good company. There's a biblical precedent for that. I don't think it's really the norm, but if you hit a dry spell, you know, it's in the Bible. So if you have your Bible, let's open up together to um, Genesis 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. I will no long, it will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. Then turn over to verse 15. Same chapter, chapter 17. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. 
Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of a hundred, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. So here's the deal. God's telling him this thing. (laughs) And he says, God, we've been waiting now for 24 years. And this hasn't come to pass yet. So clearly you're not able to get this done. But I've got this other son, Ishmael, and he's, he's available, Lord. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. Let's flip over to chapter 21. This is a fairly meaty part of Abraham's story. And and for my money, it's one of the most crushing narratives in all of Scripture. Because when I think of what's about to go down here, I think of myself in Abraham's shoes and I think of my son Henry in Isaac's shoes. So so the son of promise is, is eventually born and there's I'm sure there's a lot of rejoicing in the camp and I I guarantee you that Abraham and Sarah are beyond pleased. And then the day comes when when God comes after the fulfilled promise in Abraham's life. Imagine that. Imagine contending for something for 25 years and then getting it. I, I will say this. I've... I have experienced the satisfaction of of doing something really awesome. Have you have you ever have you ever done something in your life that created just a a brilliant sense of satisfaction or well-doing? Like some something that you've been working really hard towards comes to pass. Maybe you maybe you got a small business off the ground or Maybe you recorded an album or maybe you, I don't know, just did something fantastic and you felt really great about it. I I, I think about Abraham who has participated in this faith journey with God. It's, It's not that he didn't have a part to play. He was definitely involved in this journey 
it wasn't something that he could just be standoffish about and say, oh God, you're in control. You've got this all figured out. I'm just going to wait till the promise is fulfilled. Just going to have tea and take care of my sheep. There was a participatory part of Abraham's life intertwined with God through 25 years. So I can guarantee you, when that son was born, there was a major sense of relief that came over Abraham and Sarah. And not of relief only, but of joy, of getting to, this, to see this little boy grow up in their midst. All of their hopes and dreams they're seeing in this young man. All of a sudden, all the promises about a great nation is embodied in this one, one little boy. And then God comes after the promise itself. Imagine that. Let's read this together. The Lord, in, in chapter 21, starting in verse 1, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded Abraham. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. So skip over to chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering, as one of the mountains which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkeys, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh. 
Yaira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use the name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond the number like the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants and all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. (laughs) And Isaac breathed a sigh of relief. (laughs) Um. I think more than anything, what we can gather from our story, this is like I said in the beginning, this is our story, is that the promise of God is given to us. God beckons us into this life somehow to walk with him. And there are these there's these things that he gives us, these dreams. I, I, love, I love the book of Acts where it says that the young men will prophesy and that the old men will dream dreams. Dreaming isn't for the young. It's, it's for the older. It's for the older of us. God means for us to dream. We should dream with God. But the thing is this, is that as good as the promise is, as good as the dream given is, as sweet as the receiving and the fulfillment of the dream is, ultimately there's something better than the dream itself. And that is the Lord himself. The thing that the Lord is really calling us into, just like he did with with Abraham at the beginning when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans into a land that he would give him. He did that so not just so that he could bless the world like he said that he would, but so that he could walk with Abraham. And Abraham could walk with him. And they could have a friendship. And Abraham could be devoted to God himself. As I was studying this, I was, I was thinking about this. What, what does it mean to live a life of faith? What does it really mean to, to live a lifetime of faith? To live a lifetime of confident trust in the Lord? To live a lifetime of obeying when the word of the Lord comes? What does it really look like? Because sometimes I feel like I've lost ground because I, I thought it looked victorious all the time. I thought that a life of faith was always full of life and always full of courage and always full of just vigor. I mean, I want all of those things, but it, it seems like there's been different seasons of my life where that hasn't been the case. Does that mean that I'm discounted from a life of faith or a life of walking with God? And as I was thinking about that this week, I I wrote this thing down. I felt like the Lord said it to me. A life of faith is walking a long distance with a big question, 
with no answer on the immediate horizon. Let me say that again. A life of faith is you walking a long distance with a big question or questions with no answer on the immediate horizon. But with a confidence in your heart that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he said he would do. And here's the part where I think you win. (laughs) When you're in the season that you don't have the answer and there's no answer on the immediate horizon, that you acknowledge that that's the case, but you don't let all those outside voices talk you out of the thing that God said to you in the first place. Because I promise you that the enemy wants to talk you out of believing God for what God said to you. Because if he can do that, he can take you out. And I'm not even talking about taking you out of this life. I'm just talking about taking you out of progress and going on with the Lord. Mitch said that scripture in Hebrews eleven six this morning, that the Lord rewards those who diligently seek him. But I love the first part of that scripture. It says, but you can't even come to God unless you believe that he is God. I find that we live in an age where that's the number one question. (laughs) And I feel like there's a faith that's rising in the church. There's a faith that's coming up. That's like, God is who he says he is. And all of My only part is, it's not to figure out all the answers to all the questions that the world has. It's just to believe that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he said he would do. Do you ever feel confused when you're walking through this world right now? There's a lot of confusion. I think there's more confusion now than there's ever been on the planet, but you know, this is all I know. But I just, I would, I would wager that there's so much information flying around that people are literally being talked out of a simple trust in Jesus, in a simple trust of following on the Jesus way. I was, I was so struck. I was reading through Hebrews this week. And whoever the writer of Hebrews was believed a literal account of Genesis. He says that it was accounted to Noah as faith because he believed God when God told him to go build a big boat when he saw no flood on the horizon. And the writer of Hebrews, he recounts a lot of Abraham's story. And he says, this is how Abraham succeeded in his life. He did one thing. He believed God when God said something to him. If you ever wonder what you should do, do that. God speaks and we go, okay, God. And now, of course, it is, it's more nuanced than that. Life is not simple. It's complex. But I believe that the Lord wants to lead his people in a simple way of following Jesus. And we can, 
we can see our story in Abraham. We can be like Abraham. When God shows up, we just, we, we believe him over the long haul. Because here's the thing. I'm turning 44 this summer, and I, I honestly believe this. I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started in the things that God has for me and my family. And I'm not willing to let go of the promises and dreams that the Lord has spoken over me and my family just because I've had a bad five years. I mean, I haven't really had a bad five years. I mean, it's been harder than other five years, but... (laughs) Don't let your hard season talk you out of the coming good season. Don't let your season of unbelief talk you out of your season of belief. Don't let your, your, your season of deconstruction talk you out of a robust walk with Jesus. Jesus did miracles. He preached miracles. The apostles did miracles. They preached miracles. The apostles preached the gospel and people got saved. Whew. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here. Maybe, maybe nothing that I said made any sense at all today, which is very possible. But maybe you've got a stirring in your heart that um, you need to believe again. I, 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 uh, I'm a big fan of this uh, young man. He's a, he's a folk singer. His name is, he's from the UK, but he's got an African last name, so I'm going to butcher it. His name is Michael o- Owa Kun. It's a really long last name. <laughs> but he sings this song and he says, he says, Oh Lord, I'm getting ready to believe. When I, when I just hear him, when I, I mean, he's not even a, I, he might be a believer, I don't know, but he's not singing it in a Christian context. But when I heard him sing that, I was like, oh Lord, I need to get ready to believe again. I need to get ready to believe again. And I just, I sense that for us guys. I sense the Lord wants us to get ready to believe him again the way we did before. Because you know how good that felt when you followed Jesus in that way and your heart was alive with belief. When your heart's alive with belief, it's, it's like it, it becomes like a magnet for possibility at that point. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to stand up together. Let's just stand together. You can, you can play that, play those chords if you want to. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the most profound things about Abraham was that, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so when you see the life of Abraham, when God changed his name after that promise, his name was changed from Abram to Abraham. Abram meant exalted father. Abraham meant father of a multitude. 
So Abraham introduced himself to people for a year as the father of a multitude when he had no heir. He introduced himself as a father when he had no son. And so as Andy's talking about faith, here's the way faith really does work. You proclaim and believe your promise as though you have it when you don't have it. And so I think Andy's making a real appeal and a real call today to believe again. Because just because you don't see what you've been promised doesn't mean you don't have the promise. You just need to go back and agree with God again. Amen. So in the New Testament, before Jesus came, there was this voice that went out. It was a voice crying in the wilderness. And this is what it said. Prepare, prepare, make way the way of the Lord. Make way the way of the Lord. So oftentimes, before the Lord comes, there's a preparation. So we don't have to do anything more than just pray that prayer, Lord, I'm getting ready to believe. Why don't we, why don't we just say that together? Lord, I'm getting ready to believe. I'm getting ready to believe again. Whew. Lord, I'm getting ready to believe again. Lord, I just believe that your spirit is going to blow again on my heart. The things that have lain dormant, those things that have fallen asleep, those things that have fallen to the wayside, those things that I've given up on, those things that I've let go of. Lord, I can't figure all this out, but I do know how to say yes when you come with faith. When you come to just deposit faith in me, I just receive it. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to say yes to you, Lord. Let's sing, let's sing that together, that chorus.